Welcome to Money for the Rest of the Personal Finance Show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 92. It's titled, What Robo-Advisors Recommend. Before getting to the topic at hand, quick announcement. I have provided an episode of Money for the Rest of Us for 20 months in a row without missing a week. Usually, the episodes land on Wednesday morning, about noon Eastern time in the U.S., but not this week. Today's episode was early. If you, if you looked at your podcast feed, it came out on Tuesday, and next week there will not be an episode released. The, on the, Wednesday, January 27th, no episode. There will be one on the next one will be Wednesday, February 3rd. That'll be episode 93. Why is that? Well, I'm taking my son and I are leaving today for a trip to Cuba. And Cuba, not not a whole lot of internet. I mean, there's internet cafes, but I just don't want to be in a position where I'm trying to upload an episode of the podcast. So I'm taking a week off. So no episode next week. Next one will be February 3rd, and that'll be episode 93. So on to robo-advisors. I've gotten asked a lot about robo-advisors from listeners, and I've never done an episode on the topic. I have done one on the Hub, where a member of the Hub sent me a recommendation, essentially an asset allocation study that Personal Capital had done for him, and we sort of deconstructed that for a plus episode on the hub because it, because it was kind of a good object le- lesson for members. But on, on the regular episode of Money for the Rest of Us, we've not looked at it. And I just can't, haven't really found an interesting angle until today or this week. I thought, well, what do the top four robo-advisors, what would they recommend for somebody like me? 50-year-old, retired, married, still have some kids in college, and just what would they recommend? And because it's interesting because robo-advisors, are, I am not the target market for robo-advisors. They, the vast majority of their clients are under age 50. They primarily target tech-savvy investors in their 20s and 30s, so individuals. And first, a definition, you know, what is a robo-advisor? It's an online investment platform that uses computer algorithms to recommend and manage diversified portfolios of exchange-traded funds for individuals. There is not a human interface. So while an advisor like Personal Capital is online, because there are financial planners or advisors that assist clients as part of that interaction, it by its strict definition of a robo-advisor, at least the one that I'm using is not a robo-advisor. So the top four robo-advisors we're going to focus on today are Betterment, Future Advisor, Schwab Intelligent Portfolios, and Wealthfront. Collectively, they manage over $10 billion for 120,000 clients. I find the robo-advisor business fascinating. As you know, for many years, I managed investment portfolios. We focused primarily on institutions, but we were also on a number of advisor platforms. And so we were bringing in individual account sizes of of $50,000. And I saw how painfully slow growth is when you're bringing in 
a $50,000 account. So the average robo-advisor would take $10 billion, 120,000 clients. That's about $80,000 per account. Now, $10 billion might seem like a lot of money, but not when you look at the fact that a number of these firms have been around for three or four years, and their fees are really, really low, charging, in the case of Betterment, for example, 0.15%. It's taken them years, and that's why many of the robo-advisors are venture-funded and losing money. But it's an interesting model, and we're going to look at what it is that they recommend for somebody like me. I first became interested in robo-advisors in 2012, right after I left my old investment firm. About six months after I left, I re-registered as an investment advisor because I wanted to deliver institutional quality advice online to individuals. And so I started looking at, well, how are robo-advisors doing it? And is there a way I can replicate what they're doing without having the heavy investment in technology? And I I use what I'll call a Mechanical Turk approach. Mechanical Turk was an 18th century fake chess playing machine. It was supposed to be this chess playing robot, but in reality, there was somebody behind the curtain making the the moves. Amazon Web Services has a very similar service called Mechanical Turk, where they essentially, it looks automated, but there's individuals behind it. And so I built out a web interface and I was working on questionnaires, risk questionnaires. And so I focused, you know, what is Betterment offering? You know, how, how, what questions do they ask? What does Future Advisor ask? And so I was structuring a risk questionnaire that individuals could, full, could, could fill out. And then they would, they would fill it out. It would dump into my database. I would look at what they had. And then I would send them a recommendation. It would, it would look automated to them, but I would be the, the mechanical Turk behind sort of the, the man behind the curtain doing all the moves. I launched it. It's called 401k Second Opinion, IRA Second Opinion. And I launched it, I think it was what, April of 2013, and I shut it down within a month because I realized I just did not want to provide investment advice. I didn't want to be feel accountable to somebody for their retirement portfolio. And so I, I shut it down, but it's it's been... Interesting to see how robo-advisors have evolved. Last month, December, I was in Phoenix. As I've mentioned, I was attending the IMN Global Indexing Conference, and there was a session on robo-advisors. And there was a panel session. Rick Ferry, who's a financial planner, was on. There was a couple other financial planners in the industry, and it was interesting to hear their perspective because the traditional financial planner they don't want anything to do with the clientele that robo-advisors are typically targeting. Clayton Christensen put together a book. His theory was, it was on the theories on disruption and innovation. His book is Innovator's Dilemma. And one of the hallmarks of a disruptive technology is it targets an area of the market that the established players don't care about. They're they're underserved customers within the market, but it's a segment that the the existing players can't necessarily make money on. They don't consider them profitable. They're targeting, a typical financial advisor is targeting 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, those that have sufficient assets to justify the fees that a financial advisor 
charges. But if you only have twenty or thirty thousand dollars, typically you don't want to pay an advisor two to three thousand dollars for a financial plan. And so many of the financial advisors sort of ignore this segment of the market. But the characteristic of a disruptive technology, it, one, it serves an underserved market, but two, their solution doesn't have all the bells and whistles of the established players. It's just good enough, good enough to attract a segment of the population. And what was fascinating about this panel is how these advisors sort of focused on, well, we'll just wait until these 20 or 30-year-olds outgrow their software. And then they want fully comprehensive financial advice with a planner that can handle tax issues, estate issues. But the reality is many 50-year-olds still don't want that. And what will be interesting to see as 20 and 30-year-olds get older as they continue to use these online investment services, these robo-advisors, what typically happens within disruptions is the good enough players get better and they start adding new features. And, and I, I can see a time when they are fully fleshed out financial advisors offering all the services. I think Rick Ferry saw that and has tried to start his own. He mentioned he was doing his own robo-advisor and how incredibly hard it was to do from a technology standpoint, but also to deliver the service in an automated way so you don't have the human involvement. It's the only way it can be done when you have that many accounts to be profitable. It has to be, has to be very, very little human involvement. But let's look. I test drove these four robo-advisors, and I wanted to see. I filled out the, the questionnaire, and we're going to talk about what they asked and then what they recommended for somebody in my situation. Now, obviously, you fill it out. You, you will have a different answers or different recommendations, but I did it without opening an account. I wanted to be anonymous in the sense I didn't want, to, I didn't want an account. Establish. I was so I was sort of I landed on their website. I said I was interested, and I started answering the questions, and and then got their answers back. What was fascinating about the exercise is the recommended allocations for the different robo advisors were completely different. There was significant differences in terms of the the allocation recommendation to stocks versus bonds, which asset classes to use, and I'll I'll go through those answers here. But what I've also done is I've put together a summary sheet. It has with the four, the Betterment, the Future Advisor, Schwab, Intelligent Portfolios, and Future or Wealthfront. I show here was the recommended allocation. Here were both in terms of general terms as well as the specific holdings, those that gave me the specific holdings, how many holdings did they have, what were the fees, and what I also have added to the sheet, because what the four advisors, none of the, the robo-advisors will tell you is they'll give you a recommended portfolio, a recommended allocation, but they won't tell you what you can earn investing. In other words, what, what's an expected return for that recommended portfolio, let's say over the next 10 years on an annualized nominal basis, and what's the risk? What is the potential drawdown? How much can you lose in the short term with this recommended allocation. So what I did on this summary sheet is I, I went ahead and put that. I ran the recommended allocations through the asset allocation model, the spreadsheet that's that's on 
the money for the rest of us hub that members have access to, and it spit out an expected 10-year return, a range of return, and then whatever the maximum drawdown was. So if you remember my insider's guide, you got the link to this spreadsheet or to to the summary sheet in the insider's guide. If you're not a member yet, you can get this summary sheet immediately. If you will text the word robo-advisor, one word, R-O-B-O-A-D-V-I-S-O-R, robo-advisor, to the number 44222. Text that word. You'll get back a request to send in your email or text in your email And then what you'll get, automatically you'll get an email with this summary sheet. And then you can download, and that'll also add you to the Insider's Guide if you confirm your email. So 44222, the word RoboAdvisor, you can get the summary sheet. So, and and it does, as I mentioned, it includes kind of the expected return, which we'll talk about. Let's start with Betterment, though. I was really surprised, because I spent a lot of time on Betterment's risk questionnaire, when I first was looking at sort of doing my own quasi-robo-advisor, although me in the background behind the curtain. And I know it asked more questions than, than what Betterman asked. They, they only asked three things. They said, how old am I? Was I retired? And what's my annual income? And from that, they determined that the optimal taxable portfolio for me is 56% stocks, 44% bonds, and they recommended 11 exchange-traded funds, all by Vanguard. And on the summary sheet, it'll list out what those individual Vanguard holdings. Now, Betterment differed from the other three robo-advisors in that they were the only one to recommend U.S. mid-cap stocks, and no- nobody else me- rec- recommended that. And, th- and that's the other fascinating thing about these allocations is, is they were all generally passive portfolios, but they were, they were very much allocated very differently in terms of you know, what with, with the subsector. So only Betterment only had, was the only one that recommended mid-cap stocks. The robo-advisors differed by the fixed income allocation because several of them recommended municipal bonds because I had to put in an income and they decided that my income was enough that I needed to be in municipal bonds. It was a municipal bond ETF, and so Betterment did that. So Betterment will manage a $100,000 portfolio for 15 basis points, so 0.15%, and that, but that does not count the underlying expense ratios on the ETFs. So that's Betterment. What about Future Advisor? They, now, they were, Future Advisor was the only advisor that required me to put in my existing portfolio before they would provide any recommendation. Everyone else, I can just answer the questions and they would give me a portfolio. Future Advisor, I had to link my Schwab, my brokerage account that's at Schwab with them. And so then they could analyze sort of here is what we're recommending and here's what you have. So they asked for my age, my income, marital, marital status, and when I wanted to retire. And I said I was retired. And then they asked one risk tolerance question. They said, are you conservative, moderate, or aggressive? Betterment didn't even ask that. They didn't ask what my risk tolerance was. They just assumed, at least in the beginning, that I was moderate risk profile. And then they say, Betterment says afterwards, you can, you, you can adjust that. But in the beginning, they, they came up with the recommendation without asking any of that. 
So I answer for FutureVisor that I was moderate in terms of my, my risk tolerance. Their recommended portfolio was 37% stocks, 6% real estate, 55% bonds, and 2% cash. So they were the only one. They and Schwab recommended a cash allocation. And when I look at future advisors, so they, they were significantly less in terms of their allocation of the stocks. So Betterman was at 56%. Future advisor had 37% allocated to stocks. And that was the second lowest. Schwab Intelligent Portfolio only had 32% recommended to, to stocks. And Wealthfront had the highest at 82% so, uh, to stocks. So that you, when we see, we talk about the range, 32% to 82%, all from answering very, very similar questions. One of the interesting things that was Future Advisor determined that based on, because they looked at my existing portfolio, they decided my current portfolio was too risky for my age. The problem with that, and this is a problem with an automated robo-advisor service, is they just looked at a portion of my portfolio, only the part that's liquid, publicly traded. A large portion of my portfolio, almost 60%, is private in in less risky assets, such as mortgage lending, etc. And so what's interesting is they've only got a complete partial picture, but they're making recommendations. So they recommended 12 different asset categories, but they did not specify the specific ETFs. Now, their fees are a lot higher. So Betterment's at 15 basis points. Future advisor asked was a half a percent is what they're asking, 0.5% to manage my assets, not counting the expenses for the underlying ETFs. Wealthfront began their process by asking what I was looking for in a financial advisor. And there was a little check the box. I had four things I could select. And then amazingly, when I checked one of them, Wealthfront had a little slider that came down and said, yeah, we can do that. We have that. So they asked for my age, my income, whether I was retired. They asked about dependents and whether I came from a single or dual income family. And they also asked how much I had in cash and liquid assets. In terms of the risk tolerance questions, they asked whether I wanted to maximize my gains, minimize losses, or do both equally. Then they asked how I'd react if my investment portfolio lost 10% in a month. So based on my answers, Wealthfront determined I was a risk tolerance of 7 on a scale of 0.5 to 10. And as I mentioned, they came back with a pretty aggressive asset allocations. It was 82% stocks, 18% bonds. And even when I reduced, there was a little slider, I could reduce my, my risk tolerance to level two, they still were recommending 52% stocks and 48% bonds for conservative allocation. So Wealthfront is a little more aggressive. Their recommendation was the simplest of all of four advisors. They only recommended six ETFs for my taxable account, and they also recommended the fixed income allocation be invested in municipal bonds. They also were the one, they did provide the names of the holdings, so they were all primarily Vanguard ETFs, so I could see what, so Betterment provided individual specific names, as did Wealthfront, Future Advisor, and Charles Schwab did not. Wealthfront will manage a $100,000 portfolio for 0.225% of assets. They don't charge a fee on the first 10000 of invested assets, so I assumed 100,000 account that the first 10,000 were free. 
The next 90,000 was at 0.25%. Schwab Intelligent Portfolios. So this is a subsidiary of Charles Schwab. Now, I have accounts at Charles Schwab, but I didn't well, at first I tried to log in with my Charles Schwab ID and it, 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 it wouldn't work. And so then I went in anonymously and started filling out the questionnaires. It was the most comprehensive questionnaires. They asked about my account goals, my knowledge of stocks, bonds, and ETFs, and they had three separate risk tolerance questions. And then they had this kind of this really cool slider thing and asked me if I was comfortable if my investment portfolio fluctuated between a certain dollar amount. And gave me the opportunity to adjust that portfolio outcome by moving the slider. So way, way more comprehensive. In fact, much more like I thought better meant some of these other robo-advisors used to be in the early days. I think they have simplified their questionnaires in order to, to get people started easier. So Schwab's Intelligent Portfolios, so this is the robo-advisor division, their recommended allocation was 32% stocks. 5% real estate investment trust, 47.25% bonds, 2% in gold and precious metals. So they were the only ones that recommended gold and precious metals. And a 13.75% cash. So they had the largest cash recommendation. They didn't provide specific, specific ETF recommendations, but their portfolio was the most comprehensive. It had 18 different holdings. What's interesting about Schwab is they do not charge an account-level management fee. It's free at, at, at the account level. Now, what also Schwab does, though, which, which it's not necessarily an apples-to-apples apples comparison because Schwab recommendation included a lot of what are known as fundamental indexing. This is a smart beta strategy, and Schwab's using their own ETF, so the account level is free, but they're using their own ETFs, and some of their ETFs, because they're fundamental indexing, are going to have a higher expense ratio than the Vanguard ETFs. And so it, is, it sort of comes out in the wash, but there is no fee, at, the, at least at the account level, to use the Schwab Intelligent Portfolios. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tecovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash david. That's netsuite.com slash david, netsuite.com slash david. So what, what return can you expect from the allocation? Well, again, using the models 
the asset allocation models on the hub, the better men expect a return for 56% stocks, 44% bonds. Uh, I estimate about a 4.9% annualized return over the next 10 years with 41 to 6% range. And the maximum drawdown, so the maximum you could lose from going from top of the market to the bottom before it reverses about 31.5%. Future advisor expect a return a little lower, about 4.6%, with a range of 3.8 and 5.5%. But because theirs is a little more diversified, it includes some real estate investment trust in their portfolio, their maximum drawdown is only 23.3%. So much less than Betterment's 31.5%. Expect a return for Schwab portfolios, a little lower because they do have more in bonds, so 47% in bonds, so you would expect a lower expected return. These are nominal returns over the next 10 years, annualized, 4.3%, expected range of 37 to 5%, and the maximum drawdown similar to future advisors at, at 23%. And then finally, Wealthfront, their their expected return is 5.9% for the taxable portfolio and 6.5% for the retirement account. And that's because it was, it was much more aggressive. So 82% stocks for the taxable account, 66% recommended stocks for a retirement account. And so the range of returns for the taxable account was between 4.7 and 7.4 with a maximum drawdown of 44.3%. So definitely... The most aggressive is you go for the higher expected returns. You can expect in the short term, the, the potential loss uh, is, is much greater, in this case, 44%. So that kind of gives you an idea uh, of the returns in terms of the Wealthfront retirement account. I mentioned a 6.5% expected return, a, an expected range of 5.1% to 8% with a maximum draw, drawdown of 44.4%. So which robo-advisor did the best job in terms of the recommendation? Well, there, there is no best, but if we're, if we're going to base it on which one asked me the most questions in order to actually assess my risk tolerance, Schwab did a better job of that. Schwab also had the most diversified portfolio in terms of the number of holdings. So 18 holdings includes real estate investment trust. I was a little concerned the cash balance was too high mainly because I didn't know why they're recommending the cash balance. Now, I keep a, cash, a high cash balance when I invest, but I do so to await for opportunities so then I can take advantage of that. I believe the Schwab is more of a strategic allocation, so they're, they're not necessarily waiting for something to happen, and, and so I, I wasn't quite sure about that. But, but I, at the end of the day, I thought Schwab did a better job at least assessing my risk and, and sort of as the upfront process. Now, one of the interesting things is how, how do these robo-advisors compete against each other? Because it's a website. There isn't, there's not like there's a, a person we can identify with, such if you were hiring a financial advisor. This is a website. They all have colorful websites with attractive interfaces. And so to some extent, they try to, to compete on well, performance. But it was, so it was really interesting. And I, when I was an investment manager, we spent a great deal of time getting our performance record audited. There were certain disclosures you have to have, and clients cared about performance. And so I was interested to see, well, what what are these advisors showing in terms of their performance? And it was very very different. 
only future advisor showed actual client returns. And they were results from July 1st, 2013 through December 31st, 2015. And so they, they had actual client performance. They broke it down by age. And so if you go on your site, you can, you can see what they did for those that are in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, or 60s. And so when we look at the returns, the 60 in, in 2015, those in their 60s, their clients lost 3.7%. The worst return were those in their 30s that lost 5.8%. But over that that two-and-a-half-year period, so from July 2013, so July 1st through December 2015, those in their 30s had a 5.5% annualized return. In their 40s, 6.8% annualized return. Those in their 50s, 3.8% annualized return. And, and those in their 60s, 5.2% annualized. Now, I'm not sure what the differences were between them, but they were actually client performance. Schwab didn't show any performance at all. You can't find performance at all. It's a relatively new service, so that was an interesting approach. Betterment says their average annual return, 6.2% annualized, is going from January 2004 through December 2015. If you look at... What's that? That's a hypothetical portfolio using a portfolio of 12 ETFs, so six six bonds. They just essentially put together a portfolio and figured out what the returns would be. Now, they netted out their fees, but they didn't necessarily net out transaction costs, not that they would be that high. And then they compared that to a 4.2% annualized return for the average advised investor. And there they got a re- a index return from ARC Private Client Index. And this is basically voluntary returns that financial advisors provide ARC or ARC. They, there's no preset asset allocations. There's no asset class restrictions, no concentration limits, and no index performance used. So they just provide performance. And then ARC sort of says, well, this bucket is, is those that have 60 to 80% risk of the of the stock market. And so it was the right index to use because the betterment portfolio was was a 70% stock, 30% bond portfolio. So betterment, their hypothetical portfolio has done well relative to this advisor network. And then finally, Wealthfront. Now I, I can see I'm 29 minutes into the this episode. And since there isn't an episode next week, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go longer than I typically have done. So wealth funds performance, all they're saying is you can get 4.6% annualized over what you can get for essentially investing in an a active mutual fund. And then they break that down. So they're saying that you can get 2.1% additional return using wealth front over investing in an active mutual fund. That would be due to fees transaction costs, and just underperformance of the mutual fund because you're using indexing. They say you can get 1% additional return for tax loss harvesting. And listener Philip asked about this tax loss harvesting for Wealthfront and whether it was as big a deal as they say. This is somewhat controversial. In the show notes and on the Insider's Guide, I'm going to link to an article called The Tax Harvesting Mirage is by Michael Edesis, 
And this, he wrote this article in Advisor Perspective. It was brought to my attention by Joshua Sheets at Radical Personal Finance. And, and he is saying that the 1% that Wealthfront is saying they get from tax loss harvesting is overstated. He believes tax loss harvesting can get about 0.15% per year. When you tax loss harvest, what you do is you sell a security at a loss, and then you buy a so you you buy a similar security, but it cannot be substantially identical according to the IRS. You have to hold that similar security for 31 days, and then you can buy back the original security. And so what that does is you you recognize a loss, you can take the loss, and that can offset a potential gain. And in what Wealthfront is saying, they, they've done this calculation and say that's worth 1%. But what they didn't recognize is that at that point, once you've sold that security at a loss and then eventually buy it back, your cost basis is lower. So eventually when you sell that security years down the road, you're going to pay a higher tax than you were otherwise, in other words, because of the gain. And so this is really a tax deferment strategy. It's not a tax avoidance strategy by any means. So one of the unknowns is what is the tax rate, what tax bracket will you be in, and what will tax rates be when you eventually recognize those losses? And so Tax harvesting has to be analyzed over the life cycle of the investor. It can be really complicated. I don't think it's 1%. But if you'll read that article by Michael Adesis, and you'll you'll be able to, to get into the weeds of tax loss harvesting. The final elements that, that Wealthfront is saying, they're saying you get 4.6% additional performance by using Wealthfront compared to just investing in an active mutual fund or Well, they're saying you can get a half a percent by using an optimal allocation. And what they did there is they compared their recommended allocation with what you can get using Fidelity's free asset allocation tool. And they're saying you get a higher return for similar risk with their mean variance optimized allocation. They're saying you get another 0.4% due to automated rebalancing and 0.6% for what they call tax awareness, tax aware allocation. What it says, Wealthfront performs simulations that measure the difference in average annual return attributed to owning a taxable portfolio consisting of seven asset classes to a portfolio consisting of three asset classes, assuming the same risk tolerance for the two portfolios. So it, it's it's kind of a wonky way to figure out how much excess return you get. And and I don't don't get me wrong. I I think robo advisors, it's a, it's a fascinating business. I think it can be very helpful for new investors. They do have attractive interfaces. The portfolios are inexpensive. The the portfolios are generally diversified. I might have differences in terms of the actual overall allocation, but generally you're not going to go wrong. I think robo advisors will continue to add features, and they're going to grow with their client base. This is a classic disruptive technology. They're good enough now. They're, they're definitely serving an underserved market that the traditional financial advisors are not paying attention to, at least as well as good, because it's just not profitable financial advisors to deal with much smaller account balances. And so I don't currently invest with 
a robo-advisor, but there's many individuals that they just don't want anything to do or very little to do with investing. I mean, there's elements in my portfolio that's like that. I am in some, some venture capital and leveraged buyout funds, some private real estate funds, and when they do a capital call and ask for my money, I'm happy to send it to them because that's money that I just don't have to worry about. So sometimes it's nice to have somebody take care of a portion of your portfolio. Now, as I, as I outline the returns you're going to get for, for these, I mean, you're going to get market-like returns, and we are in a low-return environment. As I've, I've given you those estimated returns based on that allocation, you can, you can get a better sense for what your portfolio return is for your existing portfolio by becoming a member of the Money for the Rest of Us Hub. There I have model allocations, and you can use the, the spreadsheet that I mentioned to sort of calculate a customized allocation to figure out what the expected return can be. And you can get information for that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. If you'd like to get the summary sheet that, that has all this detail on these four robo-advisors, again, text the word robo-advisor, R-O-B-O-A-D-V-I-S-O-R, that's one word, to the number 44222. And then you can also do that to sign up for the Insider's Guide. You can sign up for Insider's Guide also at moneyfortherestofus.net. And you'll also get a, an email that'll include a link to that summary sheet. So next week, just a reminder, no episode as I'm in Cuba. There'll be a, the next episode will be February 3rd, 2016, Wednesday. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.